Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates, Send in the Clowns, The Phoenix Tube Company, CelebrityTrips.com, The Law Firm of Decalator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and Relish Restaurant of Kings Park. Here are your hosts. Mark and AJ. Joining us now is a man whose story is one of the most gripping tales of courage and determination that you will ever hear. He was a star running back, defensive back in high school, earning all-star, all-star state honors three times on offense and all-conference twice on defense. His outstanding play in high school earned him a scholarship to Notre Dame, where he led the Fighting Irish to the national championship in 1966. He was a 16th round draft pick, 417th overall of the Pittsburgh Steelers in the 1968 draft. A different type of draft would have a huge impact on his life as he was drafted into U.S. Army in December of 1968. As his rookie season ended, he shipped out to Vietnam after five months and served with the 196 Light Infantry Brigade. His long road back from Vietnam, four Super Bowl rings, is one of the most inspiring stories of an athlete. It is an honor to welcome the former Pittsburgh Steeler, one of the brain men from Company C, 4th Battalion, 31st Infantry, 196 Light Infantry Brigade, a Bronze Star, Purple Heart recipient, Rocky Blyer to WLIE Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Rocky. Hey, Mark, thank you. It's nice to be on your show. It's absolutely our pleasure and actually our honor. Uh, we mentioned your high school success in football, but you were also a team captain in basketball and track. If I'm not mistaken, you went three years in football not losing a game, and you may have lost a total of four games in basketball. Um, there was one man who was the coach of both of those teams. Uh, what was the most important lesson you learned from your high school coach, Torchy Clark? You know, I... I think the yeah, I think the biggest thing that uh, that any coach you know especially at that level um, has an impact on on uh, you know on those players uh, is self confidence you know to help you build you up um, you know, give you good, uh, criticism when need be but you know it's a it's a it's a growing age and it's a very fragile age uh, about how you view yourself. Uh, how you you know can handle a situation and more importantly contribute to a team. Uh, you know we play basketball um, and, and and primarily because of the system that uh, Coach Clark had, which was a you know full court press, half court press, man to man press, zone press, um, and I could do that fairly well, so I didn't have to shoot. <laughs> and uh, and so. Uh, we had a great score by the name of Kip Whitlinger on the, on that team, um, and it just it was a combination of, of you know good players uh, of, of a system uh, and people to fit in that um, that 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 made it very successful. Um, and so when I look back at uh, at that experience uh, and the impact, uh, as I had said before, was maybe just that confidence that you needed at the age of 15 and 16. Um, to be able to push harder, press harder, um, you know, to, to, to play harder and, and, and to play for a, a, a coach. Um, and so that was, it, he, had a, he had a great impact uh, on my life uh, during the, that period of time and in, um, in, in, in sports. And, and, and I suppose wanting to live up to the expectations that someone has of you becomes very important. Uh, maybe not wanting to disappoint them um, is uh, is maybe the second uh, the the, uh, the second tier uh, motivation. But um, yeah, so he was uh, he was uh, you got to have the right people, and um, and he was a powerful leader in during that period of time. 
you know, many in our audience probably didn't know much about Torchy at all, but your college <laughs> coach, Arapasigian, is an absolute legend. He was only in his second year when you arrived in Notre Dame. Could you see then what kind of coach he was going to be and what made him so special? You know, I was very fortunate. I think as I look at, you know, my coaching experiences or the coaches I had coming from Torchy then into Era, um, you know, Era was a, you know, I, I, he looked like a head coach. He, he acted like a head coach, or at least my perception as an 18-year-old kid. Um, so I was his first recruited, I came out of his first recruited class um, in 1964. Um, and so uh, freshmen didn't play at that time, and so it wasn't until uh, 65 when we got a chance to uh, be a part of that varsity team. But he established, you know, a, 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 a as a freshman, um, and and then all the way through, you know, he never did anything haphazardly. Everything had a reason. Uh, he was very organized um, um, in how he approached his practices and uh, his recruiting and his staff. Um, he expected a lot out of people, and he would put the time in as well um, to be able to lead his staff as as he did his. Uh, uh, his uh, his players. He was a person that came across of knowing about the game of football. I mean, there was no there was no great great period, you know, with him. Um, uh, you just you just kind of respected him uh, the way he looked, the way he talked, uh, his demeanor, uh, his um, expectations of you as an individual, and thus as a player, um, and so. So I think that you talk to any of those people that, uh, of course, now over the years uh, and, uh, and who had played under ERA, um, is that they all had an impact, whether you were an All-American, uh, whether you were just a, a starter, whether you were a, um, a backup, you know, whether you just... Um, held up the um, blocking sled, um, and you were part of the team. He made everyone feel a part of that team, and I think that's very, very special. And he got the most out of out of people, so right. it was uh, so it was a big impact. Rocky, this is AJ Carter playing at Notre Dame. You played for a great coach in Arapahoe. How much being there do you feel the tradition of the previous teams and the history and Newt Rockney and how much and how does it affect how everybody there goes about their business? Well, you know, I think it depends on this, and I think you get a mixture of, of, of different people. You get people who were Notre Dame fans, you know, from um, because of their parents or because of their grandparents or because of where they're from or they had somebody to go to Notre Dame and they always followed Notre Dame. And you get those, much like me, that, you know, I had no feeling about Notre Dame except for the fact that I would always watch Notre Dame with Lindsey Nelson on Sunday mornings, which was a great marketing tool that Notre Dame had, so at least you knew what Notre Dame was about in, in, in the schools. So then I got to campus. So for me specifically, it's when I got to campus. You kind of knew, you know, some history, uh, some legends, but if but when you got to campus and you got on school, then you knew the history. Then you got to know about not only the, the famed coaches and players and legacies, but also about the school um, and Father Sorn and um, what it was built on and, uh, and why it became such a special place. 
over a period of time for all those who had gone there and ultimately played and or graduated went to school there. So, um, you know, universally it, it, it holds a, a place and an aura because of, because of that. Football was the gateway, you know, to open it up to people um, and became a, a national identity uh, from coast to coast uh, with the schedule that they played. And so, um, and then all of a sudden you become a part of that and, uh, and it becomes, uh, it becomes very, very, very important. It's amazing. And, and for me specifically and other people, um, how that connection just at times opens doors at the right place at the right time, and not necessarily because someone else went there, just because they were a fan uh, and how it impacts your life along the way. And, and mine specifically, as I now look at it over the last 50 years uh, that I've been out of that school. We're talking to Pittsburgh Steelers legend Rocky Blyer. You get drafted by the Steelers. You get into 10 games in the 1968 season. And then, remarkably, you find yourself in Vietnam as a 22-year-old. I can't imagine what goes through anyone's mind, but then, you know, juxtapose that as playing for an NFL team, your dream realized, and then you're in Vietnam. And then August 20th is something that changes your life forever. Um, You're wounded by both machine gun fire and a grenade. Uh, You know, how did you manage to get to safety? And, you know, then you, you end up... After this horrific, you know, gunfire and the, this grenade, you end up getting a staph infection in the field hospital. Tokyo, the doctors told you they might have to amputate your leg. The infection cleared up, but they, you know, they weren't able to do reconstructive surgery. So, put all that in context. You know, as a 22-year-old, what's your thoughts going through your mind, 6,600 miles away from Pittsburgh? You know, well, I think that, I don't know, it was an interesting, as I look back now, and it was an interesting experience to go through it because all of a sudden becomes isolated. The incidents becomes isolated. And there's nothing to tie into, you know, where you were, what you came from, or what you left, such as, you know, my experience at Notre Dame and or being here with Pittsburgh and so on. You know, you focus on that moment. And on that time. Now, a lot of things that you learn along the way and the experiences that you have consciously or subconsciously, you know, help you get through those issues. And so you really kind of have to deal with the the then and now um, as we all do within our lives. And so, you know, when I got drafted, I had to deal with getting drafted, not lamenting the fact that I'm leaving Pittsburgh or leaving, you know, it's like, okay. You better focus on what you're doing at this point because you got to get through this. Um, and Vietnam then became, you know, uh, part of that. And so you just you 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 lived on a day to day basis trying to get through a day to day you know proposition of whatever might happen, and then you deal with whatever happens thereafter. So now I have to deal with being injured um, and uh, being wounded, uh, and then with the staph infection and with the possibility of not being able to play again and all those kind of things. But it becomes a, um, you know, it, it, I, I, you don't reflect, you don't feel sorry, you just kind of deal with it at that moment in time. Along the way, you get some inspiration or you get some help um, and uh, maybe help soothe that past. So, so for instance, uh, in, in one of my experiences, uh, the doctors, when I, <laughs> I was in Tokyo, I can remember 
I was in Tokyo, and I finally got enough courage to ask my doctor what he thought about my injuries at that moment in time, whether or not, and how they would affect my future about coming back to play with the Steelers. Uh, and being, being, being a physician, being pragmatic, he looked at it and he said, I don't think you'd be able to play again because of the damage that had been done. Um, and maybe from his perspective of what needed to be a running back in the NFL. So that just kind of sucked some hope right out of my, you know, uh, my being. And but uh, two days later, I get a postcard in the mail, and it's, it has two lines on it. Says this: It says, "Rock, the team's not doing well. We need you, Art Rooney." Well, the fact is, is that they didn't need me. But all of a sudden, it was like somebody reached out. You know, somebody cared. Uh, and being the family that they were, ultimately, uh, you know, they buy me a year. But it, but it was that little impetus, you know, that uh, was, um, uh, that, 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 you know, that kind of helped me. There was a, another instance, uh, you know, with a, uh, there was a soldier uh, when I was just um, in, in Da Nang who had lost his left arm and both legs. Uh, and uh, during a period of time that I was sharing a ward with him, uh, and he would stop by as he was going to rehab, uh, and, you know, at one time he said, you know, he said, uh, uh, how are you doing today? And I said, well, well, fine. He said, well, that's good. You look better today, he said, than you did yesterday. Because let me tell you this, like yesterday, you look like death warmed over. Um, and he said, uh, we got some good docs here. They'll take care of you. We'll get you out of here and so on and so on. But it was another, it was just another little shot of adrenaline. I mean, here was a guy that was going to have to live with these atrocities for the rest of his life, but he chose to kind of have a positive attitude, you know. So these little things along the way kind of, you know, kind of spur you up, kind of move you on and so on. Being an athlete from an injury point of view is that we all have injuries. You know, you you would um, playing the game of any sport. You know, you can you got a Charlie horse, you got a sprain, you got a broken finger, or something happens. You might have a knee operation, um, and there's lessons that you learn, and those lessons is that they heal. You know, over time, you get a little better. You go to rehab, you start working out again, you, and you go back and play. You know, it's like being a kid playing in the neighborhood. You fall down, scrape your knee. Come home, you're crying and it's bleeding. You know, mom, you know, puts a bandage on it, uh, blows some air, gives it a kiss and says, don't you worry, you know, it'll be all right. And bam, you know, the next day you're out playing again. So, but it's that kind of a, a process. And so you have a, a mental set on how you, you know, approach things. Um, and so in that case, it, uh, you know, it, it, I, I didn't fear the future. I just, it was an unknown. You just had to do the things that were necessary. So I knew that because of my injuries, I was going to have to go back and I was going to have to rehab and I was going to have to go through that. And I was going to have to get myself back into shape. And uh, all those things that were outside of my control, I did not worry about. I could only worry about those things that I could control. And that was like getting up, going, working out, running, you know, trying to get rid of the limp, uh, trying to heal, trying to get back, become bigger, stronger. Um, and so uh, that was a that was a huge lesson I, I I learned during that period of time. And then coming back to an organization, and I and I say this in all honesty, that gave me an opportunity. I came back and they put me in injured reserve. Then the following year, I made the taxi squad. So they bought me two years, 
to heal two years to get stronger, bigger, and better. They bought me two years of an opportunity. Then you had to do something with that. Um, and so you better use that time to the best of your ability and then prove to them that uh, that they did, made the right choice and that you were able to play this game. But ultimately, it was still up to them whether or not um, you know I could uh, could continue to play. And by 1972, um, I... I made the team and um, uh, and then continued to play with the team um, until I retired. But, but you know, so you go through those steps and those processes. We're talking to Rocky Plyer, Pittsburgh Steel legend. It's interesting, this past week, um, just I didn't have to because I knew the story, but I wanted to do it anyway, and I rewatched the um, the ABC TV movie, you know, the Rocky Blyer story. And, uh, you know, oh, you so, poor guy. So, so you one, one question I had was Robert Urich played you in the movie. Did you have any choice in who got to play you, or how did you feel that he did as playing you? <laughs> I, no, I thought I, there was a couple things in, in how uh, uh, that it worked. I mean, it worked out well. Um, and so Robert Urich is, it came from Toronto, Ohio which is outside of um, uh, Pittsburgh here, down by Steubenville, Ohio. Um, and so that was his home place. So, you know, so he's from the area. So he's familiar, you know, with the story, and, and it, that's one. Secondly, uh, we're the same age um, uh, as we had gone through our experiences. And Bob was a football player, played uh, the, uh, and in, in Toronto, and then his high school coach went down to Florida State, Florida University of Florida, I think, and uh, no, Florida State, and then Bob went with him as an offensive center. So he, and then he got hurt, and then he went into acting uh, in college. So he knew what it was like to be hurt and to be an athlete. And besides, he was how I saw myself, which was tall, good looking, and a lot of hair. So um, he was a perfect match for for playing the movie. Um, and and so. Yeah, so we pitched a we, we pitched a, 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 a movie deal to him um, through an agency prior to this uh, coming out, and uh, and so he had a deal with uh, ABC for um, uh, uh, Monday Night Movies. Uh, he had to make three, and so he had a big word in uh, in with them to uh, maybe do this project, and so that that's how it got that's how it got done, and. Um, and so he he played a big part, and I thought he I thought he did I thought he did a great job given the script and you know given the given the storyline. It's funny that you mentioned that you know he was good looking and you were good looking because while no, I was, no, no, while no, I was no, actually no. watching the movie, uh, I was texting back and forth with Terry Hanratty, and I said, "What did you think of the guy who played you?" He said, "I thought he did a good job." He goes, "But I'm much better looking." So, that's <laughs> right. so but one of the <laughs> yeah, one of the things that I really took away from the movie, and again, movies are, are a little different than life, is you know the, and I think it kind of. Um, if you speak to anyone, Art Carney did a great job doing Art Rooney, but just the way Art, Art uh, Rooney saw his team more as a family as opposed to a business. And you, know, you speak to any player that played during the Rooney era, and they all have their favorite stories about the Chief. Do you have a favorite you know, Art Rooney story? <laughs> I, I don't know whether I have a favorite Art Rooney story. I mean, I have, I mean, I have several stories. Um, you know uh, uh, about the chief, and, and you're right. I mean, he he made a big impact. 
on anybody who played here um, and during the period of time when he was alive and uh, and we, we, you know was was part of the team um, because it was a real throwback to you know when it first started back in 1933 and in, in those early years of the development of the National Football League you know up through you know then Monday Night Football and up through the merger in the 70s and uh, so he had a you know he had a, a a whole lot of uh, stories, and he would share those stories, you know, with you. Uh, someday you'd be walking by his office, and he'd, he'd say, uh, "Hey, Rock, come on in here," you know, and as or Bradshaw or other players, you know. And he'd give you a cigar, and he said, then he'd start talking about the past, and he'd start talking about the horse business, and he'd start talking about players, or you know how it got to be, and it was just an education um, uh, along uh, along the way. Um, I, I, one of the favorite stories I, I share is that I grew up in Appleton, Wisconsin, and I grew up in a neighborhood bar shot in a beer joint, uh, as local towns have it. And uh, it was a place where we lived above the bar, and um, and I remember when I was in the service um, it, that uh, the pack, uh, the, the Steelers were playing the Packers um, in Green Bay, and uh, the team stays in Appleton, and they. Um, they got off the plane, and uh, Art said to uh, uh, to his staff, he said, nah, doesn't uh, Blyer's parents have a, a restaurant around here? And they said, yeah, they, they do. He said, well, that's where we're going to dinner tonight. So he and some of the staff <laughs> drove down to the bar and, you know, and walked in. So it's a typical um, bar, you know, uh, on, the, on the corner. It's a Friday night. Uh, back in the 60s, so it was fish fries. I mean, there was a staple uh, in uh, in all those bars um, at that time. So Friday night fish fries were big, and so he walks in, and it was a pretty popular place, and so it was it was pretty full. Um, and uh, they finally walked in and, and introduced themselves uh, to my mother, who was uh, the head waitress at the time, and and. Um, and uh, introduced himself, and she goes, "Oh, you know, uh, Mr. Rooney, how are you doing?" It's my, and so it was um, so nice of you to, you know, to to stop in and say hi. And he said, um, "Well, I'm uh, we're going to have dinner. You know, we'd love to have a, a fish dinner." And she said, "Oh, that's wonderful." Reached into her apron, pulled out a ticket, and said, "Here, your number is thirteen. You can stand over by the bar. Uh, we'll call you when your table becomes available." <laughs> now he loved to tell that story because of the fact that. You know, mom treated him just like everybody else that walked into the bar, and and nothing special about it. So he always got a big kick um, <laughs> about that. And whenever, and the great thing about, and the great thing about the chief was that he always knew after he met you, uh, he knew something about you. You know, within you know two or three questions, if the first time he met you, there was a, there was a, there was a connection, either where you lived. Um, or what town, what town you're from, or what state you might be from, or what industry you're in. There was somebody he knew that was in there, and then all of a sudden, for the rest of your life, the first question he would say is, "Hey, how's the bar in Appleton? You know, <laughs> how's your mom and dad?" Uh, and uh, so there, there were there were hundreds of stories like that from everybody who met, you know, uh, around. First time they would, you know, they'd see me, they'd say, "Hey, how's the bar? How's the steel industry? <laughs> or how's your uncle? Because we played ball together, or how, whatever it might be." And so, um, it, so he had that personal uh, charm and connection with with people. So uh, he was a um, he was a he was a great owner. 
We're speaking with Rocky Blyer, Pittsburgh Steeler legend. Obviously, you know, playing for an owner like that, winning four Super Bowls, you know, after, you know, going through what you went through, obviously you still bleed, you know, black and gold. So I have to imagine that today is a pretty painful day. Devastating loss against the number three seed Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, although 14 of those points were results of turnovers, one a fumble recovery that was run back for the touchdown, the other the early interception that gave uh, the Jaguars great field position. Um, what did the Jaguars do that seemed to have the Steelers' defense off balance all day long? Oh, they did. You know, from the beginning, I just here, here my, my reaction is that the Jaguars outworked and outperformed the Steelers today. They were outcoached. Um, you know, I thought in my first, the first two possessions that they had, you know, of of of, of, of the ball. I mean, they just moved the ball down the field. Um, they, they 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 blocked well. They were consistent in their blocking. They they stayed with their with their blocks. Um, and yeah, um, there was just places to run, you know, it was, and you moved it. And I'm thinking, okay, fine. Well, this is a home. My belief is this, if this is home, you get home field advantage. And secondly, you're a team that should not be beaten by the same team twice. Okay. I mean, the Jags came in and they, they beat you the first time, you know, they can't beat you the second time at home. It just, it can't, you, they can't do that. Obviously they did. But from a mindset, you know, so I, I'm, I'm saying to myself, okay, where's the coaching staff? You know, where have they been? I, and, and I haven't been there, but my first thing is, where have they been to prepare these guys? Um, you know, and it's just not another team. Everybody's looking ahead to the Patriots. Everybody thinks, okay, fine, you get through the Jags, you're right. They can't beat them. You know, the Jags can't beat them twice. And we'll get through this, and, you know, we'll have to go up and play. Or, you know, everybody was looking forward to uh, the Patriots game um, uh, next week, and so the Jags come in and they're 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 aggressive. They're coming off the ball. They're, they're holding their blocks. In offense, they make big plays. They moved at night. That first series is they moved the ball down and they scored. The second time that they scored, I'm going, okay, there's the game right there. That's the game, and ultimately that was the game in those first two drives that they had. You know, the Steelers all season long came back in the second half, um, as they did this time. Came back and almost, you know, won. Not pretty. Uh, you know, you look at the the final score, 45, was it 45-42? Um, you know, and you, you go, wow, it must have been a close game. Yeah, well, no. Yeah. I mean, the Jags just, I thought, were better coached, better prepared, understood both offensively and defensively um, what the um, – what the Steelers were going to do and and and, um, and and performed. I don't know what our game plan was, you know, because we held on to the same game plan uh, all the way through. Um, and, uh, you know, I suppose ultimately it worked, but not when you, you're up or down by 14 points, you know, within the first two drives of the game, you go, hmm, that's a tough thing to overcome. Absolutely. So, and God bless them. You know they did a they they did a great job, and uh, it'll be an interesting game um, next week if 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 you know the Jags can uh, continue that uh, that uh, that momentum. It's so weird because you, you know obviously everyone's looking through it, and AJ's got a question. I have a question yeah. for you too, uh, strategically. But it's interesting because it's a team that only scored ten points last week against the Buffalo Bills, which isn't <laughs> right. anywhere right. near the it team. It looked horrible on offense. Right, yeah. it looked horrible on offense. 
is able to put in your you're right. I mean, this is the second home game that the Steelers played yeah. against the Jaguars. And cumulatively, the Jaguars put up 75 points. Right. That's, that's right. unheard of. But the, I, That's right. The thing that I want to ask you, and then AJ has a question on some of the fourth down before we let you go, yeah. is two minutes and 18 seconds left, still have two timeouts. Um, do you go for that onside kick then, or do you kick it, try to make a stop, and put yourself? Because you gave them points right there. You gave them great field position. You know, the chances, you know, I don't know what the, the actual percentage is NFL-wise of, of Recovering an onside kick, but, but do you do? I, I think I think they're less than zero. Right. So do you do that? Let me, let, let me cut in for one second. Okay. By the way, the Saints just scored to tie the game. Conversion, they'll take the lead with about three minutes left. Wow. So, right. so do you do you do the onside kick or do you kick it and let your defense try and make a stand? I, I you kick it and yeah. try and make yeah. a stand. Right. Yeah. Yeah. My my opinion, you just kick it, make it stand. You know, and uh, <laughs> you're right. You know, the percentage and give them good field position. No, you can't do that. Not the way they've been played. Keep them deep if you can right. do that. Yeah. You know, the other st- strategy one. There to me, there were two turning points in the game. They were the two fourth downs that Pittsburgh did not convert. One they tried to go outside, oh, and the can't other make one and, and, short, but they make two fourth and one yeah. for touchdown. Right, exactly, <laughs> one for touchdown. And the other one it was it was a pass play that that off to the left that went bad. You know, what were your thoughts about that one? You got. Why not go up well, the middle? Here, here's my thought. My yeah. my thought on both fourth and fourth and one. My thoughts on both fourth and one were <laughs> were this, yeah. um, which is, <laughs> you know, this was my own own imagination. Uh, is that you come up? Okay, so when I when ultimately it's going to be as a quarterback sneak. Okay, so I, you're you're fourth and one uh, and, and up the line. You come up to the line, you know, or you're you're standing in, in uh, you're standing back. You know, in you're making a call, whatever it is. You know, you walk up to the line. You you make an audible up to the line. Take a step back, do a uh, a soft tap underneath, and catch the defense off guard. Boom, and pick up a yard. I think I think that would have worked better than the place that you know that they because those plays weren't they weren't. Yeah, obviously they didn't work. You know, so so no one tried a quarterback sneak. I mean, no one yeah. tried to with one of the, I don't know with, why with, they don't with, basically sturdy quarterback. Without a line, right. can push right. his way through. And possibly yeah. one of the best running backs in the league in Le'Veon Bell. I right. mean, it's yeah. weird. But uh, you know what? I'm thinking at that point, those two fourth and short, I'm saying give it to Franco and let Rocky you know, yeah. be the lead block, right. and it's not a problem. Right. Um, Rocky, we appreciate your time tonight so much. Uh, where can people keep in contact with things that are going on with you now? Well, they can go to uh, RockyBlyer.com, my website. Um, and keeps me keeps them updated on what takes place in my life. But anyway, that's where they can go. We really appreciate it, Rocky. A true hero, four-time Super Bowl champion, Mike. Bronze Star, Purple Heart recipient. Uh, it's actually an honor to speak to you, and thank you for your service, and thank you for so many great years with the Pittsburgh Steelers as well. Mark, AJ, I appreciate it. Thanks for your time, you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Rocky right. Blyer, as All I right. mentioned, four-time Super Bowl champion.